I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another lovely episode of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. My name is Eric. And I'm Lauren. Yeah. Uh, so how are you today? I'm well. Thanks for asking. Before the show, I was like, Lauren, I've got a sweet idea for what we can talk about. And that was it. No, JK. Um, Eric, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I'm great. Thank you. I'm very well. Can we start this over, please? No. I hate this so much. <laughs> That's why it's great. Okay, so here's here's what I want to talk about. Okay, so in this episode, uh, the kind of the inciting action revolves around a certain type of pie. Lauren, what is your favorite type of pie? Eric. <laughs> this is gold. <laughs> the fact that you hate it means I know it's good. So our dear friend J.B. Anderton... <laughs> Uh, was really kind and transcribed the entire first episode for me. And my friend Emilio in Puerto Rico is listening to this podcast, even though he doesn't have full electricity or internet services. And one of the things they both said to me was that we really have fallen into our groove and we just get right to the subject matter and we don't talk about a bunch of crap. And now you're going to talk to me about pie flavors, Eric. (laughs) Uh, Well, clearly it's on topic one. And I have strong opinions about it, too. My favorite pie is pumpkin pie. And my second favorite pie is apple pie. And they're both better when they're homemade and not, like, filling from a jar. Great. Was that so hard? Eric. <laughs> Eric, we can't just talk about the things that you're passionate about. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk what about? What kind of pie do you like, Eric? What is your strongly opinionated pie flavor? I actually... Uh, trumped up how much i care about pie i mean i do care but i don't have like any hot takes about pie i really just just dug in on this one for no reason then you got to commit to the bit right like we've committed to watching this show from 22 years ago (laughs) commitment baby uh no i do like pie I, i so baker square right now has this pie that is um it's pecan pumpkin pie which seems like something that should have existed for eons it's just a layer of uh pecan pie with pumpkin pie filling on top Oh, it's really good. You do know more about current pie culture than I guess I do. I couldn't tell you what's at my local Baker Square right now. I will 
uh, I happened to just go there for lunch with an old coworker the other day. That's the only reason I know that. I'm not like on their <laughs> newsletter. No, in my mind now, you're the biggest pie fan there is. <laughs> I do want to say my friend Troy has a novelty Instagram account called uh, Pies Across America, where he takes pictures of pies and then writes stories for them as though they are the elderly men and women who baked those pies. Didn't we meet that guy in a parking garage once? Yes, we did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that sounds really shady. <laughs> we were... Go, coming back from dinner, talking about this podcast, and he was going to see a movie, and we parked in the same garage. You made it sound so illicit. <laughs> I mean, I was taken by surprise. <laughs> well, look, I just have friends in every garage, all right? And, uh, and pies in every Baker Square. That's me. Anyway. Should we talk about She-Ra? Welcome to a show that's, we swear about She-Ra. But also about pies this week. <laughs> She-Ra, aggressive of power. <laughs> Well, it's been great working with you, Eric. This will be the last episode. Um, so this episode that we're doing today, it's kind of like our intro, kind of lame. It's very cartoony, right? But I felt like we had to talk about it. Uh, the episode is called My Friend, My Enemy. And it truly does start off with pie. So Hordak is given the gift of a pie uh, by a, quote, secret admirer, Catra tells him. And he devours the pie. And it's super, super good. And then as soon as Hordak leaves, out from the shadow steps, our friend we haven't seen since the pilot. Who was it, Lauren? Skeletor. It was Skeletor. Skeletor baked Hordak the pie, and it was a doomberry pie. And it turns out that when you eat doomberries, you disappear. This is a very cartoony... Only after a lot of suffering, though, yeah. do you disappear. Yeah, it's a slow process. Like, you fade in and out at gradual increments. And it turns out the trick of doomberry pie is the only cure is somebody has to cry for you. Well... Everyone's pretty sure no one's going to cry for Hordak, but Shira feels that she needs to try to help him because she's a good person. Uh, so Hordak thinks maybe the one person who might is this old wizard named Noah who taught him magic. Somehow, that, that doesn't really make sense because we are led to believe that Hordak doesn't care about magic. But let's say somewhere in his past he did, and there's this wizard who he thinks might cry for him. So Shira goes to the mountain. And Skeletor has captured the wizard. Shira defeats Skeletor, and then plot twist: Oh no, the wizard doesn't care about Hordak either. He's like, "Well, I liked you once, but then you kind of perverted everything I taught you and used it for evil. So I'm not gonna cry for you." But then I bet you all can guess what happens, which is Shira ends up crying for Hordak because she's so sad that no one else will, which is very, very sweet and. Probably most of what we're going to talk about this episode. But anyway, she saves Hordak. He doesn't disappear. There's this kind of tacked on ending where they go to the Fright Zone to save Glimmer. And that's, that's the episode. She-Ra finds some empathy for her enemy and cries and saves him. And he'll never remember. That's the other thing about Doomberries. I guess you forget everything that happens while you're phasing in and out of reality. So, how's that for an episode? I can tell that you think this one is super lame. It's in your voice. Well, I actually, I, I thought it was lamer the first time I rewatched it. I did kind of enjoy it today. I do think there's weird things about it. Um, having evil pie be the inciting incident. Very weird. Before we talk much longer, though, I think there's someone we should introduce. Yes, uh, we this week have a guest back with us. I know last week we did an episode on our own. Uh, but today I've brought a good friend of mine. His name is Aaron Hosek. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for coming. Eric uh, 
So my friend here is highly, highly qualified to talk about the topic of empathy. Uh, I'm, I'd say I'm highly qualified. I'm a psychologist for a Chicago public school, so I uh, spend a lot of time teaching empathy to children. What do you think, uh, well, not what do you think, what is a day in the life for you like at that job? Oh, well, uh, a lot of paperwork because uh, CPS is a giant bureaucracy, but I get to run groups with uh, preschool children all the way up to eighth grade, sometimes high school kids, and uh, they're adorable, especially like this past week is Halloween, so it was just phenomenal to uh, be around that joy. What are some of the common issues that those kids face that you kind of help them through? I work in the south side of Chicago, so it's a lot of traumatic backgrounds, uh, a lot of poverty. Um, so that really a lot of students kind of lack the, some of the pro-social skills that we kind of just pick up, you know, throughout our childhood. You know, a lot of these kids haven't been explicitly taught them, so a lot of times they just need to be, you know, explicitly taught, like, how to be good or like you know mm -hmm. how how other people feel Absolutely. how you make other people feel thank you so much for joining us so i kind of have there's a specific reason i wanted to cover this episode because it's kind of one of my political points and i think lauren you and i might disagree on this so i'm going to say my thing and then someone who's actually qualified to talk about it can dismantle my theses as <laughs> necessary okay so i i'm kind of on the side as left as as obviously all of us in this room are, I'm very much on the side of like understanding and reaching out and, and sympathizing and empathizing. You know, I kind of take, I mean, I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan, right? And that should tell you kind of everything you need to know about my politics. I listen to a song like The River and I'm like, these are people who, if they were real, voted for Donald Trump. And as much as I think we can't excuse the misogyny and xenophobia and hatred that went into his election, I also think people on the left are too a too dismissive of like concerns that might push someone to vote Trump instead of Democrat, and and B I think people conflate empathy with endorsement, right? Like I don't wish ill on people who vote for Trump in my better moments. Like, sometimes when I'm feeling salty and I see a bad news story, I'm like, oh, fuck all those assholes. But when I'm really trying to be myself and be good, I don't wish any harm on them. I, I really, I do empathize with them. And I think the cool thing that She-Ra does in this episode that I really like is when she cries for Hordak, she's not crying because she likes Hordak. She's crying because he wasted his own life. And even though maybe that's kind of condescending, that's how I look at most people who have all that hatred that would make them vote for Donald Trump. Like, I don't endorse their viewpoints, but I feel really, really bad that that is the choice that they've made and this is the life that they live. So with that out there, please feel free to dissect my viewpoints. <laughs> so sure, I, I, I love that you already know me well enough that you're like, oh God, Lauren, you're going to disagree with this because I don't have as much sympathy or maybe empathy is the word. Um, incidentally, Aaron and I were talking about this a little bit over pizza before we came here. And I think I'm great at finding empathy if I think the other person has done their due diligence and has researched and done critical thought into why they feel the way they feel. If you're invested into your opinion and you apply your opinion evenly across all people, then yeah, I have a lot of empathy for you. Unfortunately, gosh, she's going to kill me for talking about him, but the example I always go to is my own father. 
My dad did not engage in politics for my entire childhood. He registered to vote, to vote for Donald Trump. And I find this baffling. He's a solidly middle-class, blue-collar guy, truck driver for his whole life, loved unions, you know, Midwestern hard worker, really shouldn't have anything in common or no loyalty to uh, a gold-plated New York uh, (laughs) business guru like Donald Trump. In the end, though, um, he does have fears and he does have concerns about illegal immigrants, about people who are different than him for a while, gay marriage, but I think he did actually come around on that one. And I had a conversation with him at one point uh, where I was trying to explain to him uh, racial segregation in Chicago. And this is the TLDR version. I know there's a lot more nuance here. But I was trying to explain to him that historically, people of color were literally sort of penned into one area and held away from opportunities. Aaron and I were talking and he was saying how companies would only hire white people or don't rent to black people or your apartments. And, you know, that's real. Opportunity was really kept from populations of our city. And my dad would say, well, is it okay for a black person to use racial slurs against me if I can't use racial slurs against them? And I looked him in the eye and I said, has a person of color ever called you a racial slur? Has that ever happened to you? And he said, no, but would it be okay if it did? I said, it wouldn't be okay, but it's not actually happening to you. You're telling me that you're voting and acting in a way that is based in fear of things that are hypothetical. They're not actually occurring in your life. Whereas these other people are experiencing oppression every day. And so if your issue is not based in a reality that you're living through, then I don't have a lot of empathy. And so if we're gonna tie it back to Shira, you know, like maybe nobody likes you, Hordak, because you took over the planet with violence. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I totally see what you're saying, but I guess my thing is like, don't you look at like your dad's choices or Hordak's choices and like just from an objective moral standpoint, be like, the fact that you have decided to be this way makes me sad. That's true. I mean, I did say the words to Aaron over pizza. It breaks my heart. So I guess I do feel emotions over that. I don't know if that's empathy, though. Would you call that empathy, Aaron? So I feel like empathy is more taking the complete judgment part out and making it just really trying to understand that person's perspective, like taking out any sort of negative impression, Um but it's really hard to do that, especially right now when everything is so heightened and you're not even actually getting a lot of times the person's actual thoughts. You're getting like that third hand um, rhetoric and spin and all that other stuff on top of it. And so you're getting that that like vitriol way out there. And then you sort of have to be like, OK, let's peel all that stuff back and get to what the meat of your issue is. OK, you're afraid or you are angry at this particular thing. OK, I can kind of understand that. But when it gets to all this like to the 10th degree crazy stuff, it's like it's hard to really be empathetic with that because you're like just getting a wall of anger. 
I also feel like my empathy deteriorates when people are trying to legislate or control the lives of others. Um, I'm an atheist, but I don't go around telling other people that they should be atheist. And so when someone tries to create laws that are based in Catholic morals or biblical ethics, I get really upset. You know, you can have those beliefs for yourself, and I, f I understand and feel for why you would have those beliefs, but you shouldn't force them onto other people. And I do think there's a distinction between um, people who try to legislate and then people who kind of get caught up in the current, like, you know, uh, talking about propaganda and things, absolutely, in our charged environment, people are just kind of getting washed up. And I bet a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump didn't necessarily have a great articulation of his belief so much as just like bought into all of the propaganda that the media willingly gave to him. So someone like Mitch McConnell really tests this for me because I don't, if, if I was She-Ra, let's say, and I would obviously look great in her outfit and Mitch McConnell was Hordak and I don't know who would be Skeletor, maybe Paul Ryan uh, <laughs> trying to clear out the Senate. Um, I don't know that I could do what She-Ra did, but then is what She-Ra did like maybe Lauren, you're the person to answer this. Do you still see that as like the heroic or right thing to do? Or do you think she like overextended herself for no good reason? Would you have let Hordak disappear? There are two different answers there. I would have let Hordak disappear personally because I am a judgmental Slytherin <laughs> boss bitch. And that's how it would have gone. Separately, I think it was the heroic thing to do and it was the right thing to do to save Hordak. Um, I actually really did feel for Hordak at multiple points in this episode when he was crying out, Katra, what are you doing? It's me. Or Skeletor, what are you doing here? Noah, you liked me. He, he desperately was hurting. They were the consequences of his own actions. But if She-Ra hadn't done what she did, I think you could have argued that maybe she's as bad as the Horde, and she's not the Horde. Shira is different than them and better than them, and she can exercise empathy in times when they cannot, and that's what makes her the hero of the story. I never said I was the hero of anything. Oh, I'm not putting that on you. I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious. But yeah, I think the real twist of the knife is Noah refusing to cry, right? Because like you kind of understand through previous episodes, like the horde is full of backstabbing assholes and they'll do anything to get power. But when the old wizard who himself was violently mistreated by Skeletor is like, no, fuck this guy. You're like, oh, damn, Hordak, nobody loves you. Well, that's the thing. Like, they put the the moral or the the empathy that that judgment like on like the worst person you could possibly do it on. Like, how that's that's such a difficult choice. Like, you made this the worst person in the world, right? And now you have to cry for him. What? The, yeah, the <laughs> literal villain of the series. Yeah. Like, maybe part of the reason for bringing Skeletor into this episode is to be like, look, there's still like other really bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I was, it's tough because like you have the message has to be simplified because it's I mean it's a. 80s cartoon show for children yeah so they have to like just get to that bare minimum like okay empathy is good here's why you know it, it makes you the better person in a situation but yeah so it couldn't resolve it in any like really complicated way other than like to have them sit down at the table and like have a long-form discussion about <laughs> our differences and then we come to terms with them and now we're we're okay then the show's over rebellion right? over <laughs> <We're> and <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad you're here too because you can kind of talk about like 
how how do you think children would take this? Because I don't know if you know this, but the show actually employed like an educational specialist to kind of help the show craft morals, mostly to get parent groups off its back for like, oh, it's so violent. Well, look, we have this guy from UCLA who helps with morals, an education professor. But yeah, like, what do you think about kind of the messaging of the show? Like, would your kids or if, if your kids uh, were doing this 20 years ago, would they take to it? It's interesting. And, and not to go too far off topic here, but like the, because I, I feel like there's like the message of what the actual show was, and then there was that like little tag at the end, mm-hmm. which was kind of a little bit different. Yes. Um, we get to looky at the end, so spoiler alert. But we always do note how sometimes it. they're kind of at odds, so yeah. that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, because it was, I, I feel like the, the show message is a little bit more complex, where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we have to, even if this person is horribly mean to you, or like doing bad things, like we still should treat them, we should try to treat them like humans and be the better one. Yeah. And then I feel at the end, like they sort of kind of go at a different angle. It's not too far afield, but it is definitely different. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, so I feel like the kids would probably land more on that one. And that's a little bit more applicable to like, hey, this kid's bothering you at school. Like, uh, it, like it was it was just a national bullying month, this anti-bullying month, not huh? national bullying month. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> that's next month. No. Uh, but it was, yeah, so it was anti-bullying month. So like we've been talking about this for, um, for the past month, just like, okay, you know, if you're seeing these things, you know, you really have to make sure you're standing up for your friends and, and trying to understand instead of being the bully, you know, really come and solve things with words, which is a hard thing for most people to do clearly. I mean, we can't even do it on the internet as adults. Um, yeah, I feel like it's, I granted, I don't know what, how this is in the pantheon of Shira morals or, uh, uh, um, but, I mean, I, I feel like the kids, it, it's simplistic enough and it hits the, the notes to where kids would kind of pick up and be like, oh, even though he was a bad guy, like we still, she was still trying to be the better person. That, that's something that kids experience a lot. I mean, kids can be really cruel. And so they have to deal with a lot of stuff being said behind their back or to their faces. Well, and right, because you see. have to see your classmates every day, no yeah, matter no what. Escape. And I, the same 30 kids. That's kind of the same for she and Hordak. Like they yeah. have each other forever. So do you uh, kind of maybe confirming a certain subsect of liberals wet dreams and I'm including myself in that. Do you feel that um, empathy can kind of bring an end to these problems? Cause like, or, or at least help bridge gaps because, you know, I do think it's a little bit unfortunate that Shira was like, I don't need Hordak to remember. I feel good just for helping when like this could actually have been a significant step towards <laughs> ending this horrible war. Um, which I think when, you know, people on the left nowadays try to empathize, it's to try to end what's happening in the world. Okay. Do you feel that it is a useful tool for doing that? Like, have you seen it happen? I do. It's hard from like on a large scale basis because a lot of what empathy is, is literally like individual, like I see you as a person. Okay. Now this, now we can actually start to have a dialogue together. Like you see that a lot. We were talking before the show, like, you know, you have uh, parents that, you know, are confronted with ideas that they might necessarily have been against, but their kid ends up falling into that. Like, so, for example, a kid ends up being homosexual and the parent was homophobic or something like that. And then the parent has to be like, oh, wait, this is actually an idea I now have to confront and I see it personally. This affects me personally. I actually have to empathize with that kind of person. It's hard to be, like, em- empathetic with an idea, especially when the ideas are so abstract. It is it's, slow change, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So it's just like person to person. I mean, I don't know how helpful like large scale 
things are, especially right now, it's so polarized. Especially on the internet. Yeah, well, and then that's the thing is when you're on the internet, there's no human being on the other end. There's just text, so you lose that, that, that connection. So when somebody's saying something negative, you know, you're not seeing the person's face change. You're not yeah. seeing any, any reactions. You're just saying, oh, I got that person real good. Well, it's like there's a new podcast. I think it's called, like, Conversations with People Who Hate Me. And it's like forcing a, or I, I think it's a, a queer man uh, calls people who have like espoused hateful messages and just has a one-on-one conversation where he basically asks them like, why do you hate me? Like, what have I done? Why does my existence offend you? And that seems like if empathy is ever going to work, it's got to be that way, right? Like one-on-one. You can't like weaponize empathy. <laughs> I can be down for one-on-one and I do think that's the best in the end. I can't get behind, though, the idea that the victim of bullying or the victim of oppression is somehow responsible for making that happen. Uh, This podcast you're talking about sounds incredibly, incredibly brave. But I just want to emphasize that, like, if someone's threatening you and your lifestyle, you are not under any obligation to give that person the time of day. Maybe it would be like an, an incredibly honorable thing to the people around you who don't understand the danger you're in or the suffering you're going through but nobody has to convince you to do that not even if they're dying of doomberries no and i agree with that like i think kind of as a you know straight white man i i get to empathize because my life's not in danger i wouldn't ever say that someone who's being physically threatened or even emotionally threatened should have to you know reach out um but i do think that for a lot of kind of the cushy white dudes on the left i'm still gonna stand by like at least try at least try to be she-ra and then in our worst days we'll be madame raz instead oh don't hate (laughs) no she's great i love her if that's the worst you do you're doing okay So there are several things in this episode that I did my classic thing or I overanalyzed a small moment. And I'd like to talk about some of them with you. Please. Hordak is pleading to Skeletor. My friend, why? Why is this happening? Why would you do this to me? And Skeletor's justification is, I just beat him to it. Like, he is sitting back in his own realm, waiting for Hordak to pull something like this on him. His paranoia has driven him to a preemptive strike. Uh, And this made me think George W. Bush with uh, Iraq. This made me think where we're going right now with North Korea, that we get so drummed up in our own beliefs about what could happen to us, that we start talking about preemptive destruction that's terrifying and i wish this episode had lived there for a little bit longer 
And not only that, but Skeletor just assumes that he will then become Horde Commander on Etheria. He's not even in the ranks. <laughs> no. Like, well, how does that work? He's just crazy. Have you seen how ripped he is, though? <laughs> I, know I mean, they, come on. They did, like, draw his six-pack in that scene, which is really weird. Well, and I, I think there's a lot to be taken from that about, frankly, empathy and how easy it is to completely stop seeing people as human beings and rational when you're maybe just wrapped up in your own paranoia and your own concerns, whether that's you're just convinced that homosexual marriage is somehow affecting your marriage or that uh, people of color moving in on your street somehow affects your home and your life. I mean, we allow ourselves to act based on fear that may or may not be grounded in anything. Um, imagine how much time <laughs> and energy we wouldn't waste as a nation if we weren't just trying to make rules based on paranoia. Where does that, uh, where does that come up in working, in working with kids, Erin? Because I remember being bullied as a child and definitely remember feeling just kind of worried about what other people were thinking and doing all the time. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, it's such a big key element now. And now, like, when you leave school, it's not even gone because now with Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter, it's like, that stuff all follows you too. And so st people not only are, like, saying stuff in the physical realm, but, like, in the digital realm. So it's, like, the, 10 times the amount of onslaught of just comments. So people are just constantly saying things about you or, you know, trying to make you do things you don't want to do or making you uncomfortable. So Skeletor just saw Hordak being successful on Instagram <laughs> and got real upset. I mean, Hordak does control the world. Skeletor only really has a mountain and some bad guys, so maybe. You guys have made me think that maybe there is more to bringing Skeletor into this episode than like, oh, it's cute and like we get a He-Man crossover out of it. Like maybe there is something about his kind of outsider state as this demon of snake mountain that brings like it brings something to she-ra that like one of the horde generals wouldn't when i like it too because it sort of makes another layer to the whole bad guys are not friends with each other and they're just awful to each other and here's just another way of like i'm just gonna screw you over the second i can because i think you're gonna screw me over whereas like clearly like she-ra and the other characters names who i have no clue what they are because i'm not as familiar with she-ra as you guys are um like they're clearly like buddies and they actually care about each other's feelings and that's the whole point of being a good friend is actually being able to listen to your friends and and understand them but we got you know skeletor trying to be scheming and try to overthrow with some odd culinary revenge scheme. <laughs> that's, so. that's a great point. And maybe that's why the glimmer rescue sequence is at the end is to show that like the rebels will never leave their people behind. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I hadn't drawn that parallel, but it's basically the difference between Katra and Hordak and She-Ra and Glimmer they're there for each other, and they've proven that, whereas the only reason I think Katra is going to get to stay in the Horde after this is literal amnesia.
before we wrap up, Aaron, if you don't, that's fine. But do you have a story about a time you can really remember putting yourself in the shoes of, of one of your students? Um, I mean, well, so we have a lot of kids that have a lot of traumatic backgrounds, as I said. And before I was a psychologist, I was an assistant in a lot of special ed areas, uh, a special ed room in, a, in the south suburbs. And we had some kids that just had some really egregious, outrageous behavior. <laughs> and, you, and, you know, and then you read the story about, like, what they've gone through in their life. And you'd be like, oh, my God, like, this kid's been sexually abused or, like, God knows what, like, as a two-year-old. And so you got to be like, okay. This kid's annoying the crap out of me right now, but like this kid has all this stuff compounding their whole life. Like, I mean, I'm annoyed for this 30 seconds, but like, I mean, I can at least appreciate, like, I, I need to like separate my feelings out of that and like see this kid like as a person. Like, we're here to like help this person become a better person. So we have to help them through some of this behavior. And then it's not saying like you have to completely disregard all negative behavior, but like I said before, it's, it's the separating behavior from the person um and really trying to reach that person that, that, as a human being and not just an aggregate of their what they've done i now i'm interested in a prequel to this because all we've seen is you know in big quotation marks hordeck's behavior but who who is he inside who was he before any of this what has he been through i will tell you don't seek out any of the quasi fan made material about this <laughs> it's really bad i wasn't intending to great and or pornographic yeah yeah <laughs> that probably exists too he-man is in a weird place where the fans have kind of taken over the toy line because it's for collectors only and they've made a rich backstory that in theory kind of fills in all these gaps but it does so in a really unsatisfying way hordak's name is hector just so everybody knows hector whoa any Whoa. like double letters or anything or just literally like Hector? I think it's H E C dash T O R R. He is the Oh, it couldn't be any better than that. The wicked prince son of Horde Prime. And he has great uh he feels like he's not living up to his father's evil or some bullshit. Uh so he's he's got the kind of like Macbeth thing going on or Hamlet oh, thing going no, on. No, you Macbeth. should have just told me to stay away because now the more I hear, the more I, I can't look away from this car fire. So Dark Horse has published a character guide that lists all the different continuities. You could just read that and not bother reading the toy story. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna fall into such an internet hole tonight. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> did did you know there are three great sword wars? Of course you didn't. Anyway. Just three? Just three. It's like Keyblades in Kingdom Hearts. There's so many stories oh, about Keyblade Wars. Fucking Kingdom Hearts is so impenetrable. Even <laughs> though like it is frustrating sometimes how little the show gives you, I like that it's simple <laughs> at the surface, you know, like good guys, bad guys, here's their interaction, done. Sure. You just tell the the story in the twenty minutes and any extra stuff that just gets added on, you're just like, uh, maybe we'll bring that up again, but maybe not. And then in thirty years, people who were a little too into it <laughs> make a fan continuity. Yeah. Aaron hasn't been here for these conversations, but Eric and I have talked a couple of times how we'll we'll meet fans who are cosplayers or on Facebook and their sometimes complete unwillingness to go where this show goes politically or analytically is real telling. 
And I feel like that is like looking at Hordak and saying, yeah, he's a prince, Hector, like that is way more of a leap than talking about the progressive politics of a <laughs> band of women fighting a regime of of pig men, right? Like that's in the show. I agree. It's why I'm here. It's yeah. why I'm doing this with you. All right. So we're all sold on that. Moral time? Yes. Great. Okay, so uh, it was mentioned earlier that this is kind of one of those cases where the moral's a little, uh, maybe not contrary, but it, it doesn't really get at the richness of the episode. So here's what Loki says. He goes, In today's story, Shira was saddened because Hordak didn't have a real friend. Maybe you know someone who doesn't seem to have any friends. If you do, try to be a friend to them. If it works out, you might be as happy about it as they will be. Bye now. If it doesn't work, your uh, person will become an evil supervillain. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot on you. <laughs> I pressure. think uh, what I'm really starting to realize about Loki is that I resent the buy now at the end. <laughs> I know, it's so flip, right? It's always like, here's a really heavy uh, point of growth for you to try to incorporate in your life. Bye now. Yeah. <laughs> Process this. <laughs> See ya. Jerk, I need more pointers. Maybe some coaching. Shoot. Yeah, I agree. He's he's just like, I'm going to come in and change your life with some 30 seconds of wisdom and then peace, sucker. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I don't know if like the issue was really Hordak doesn't have a friend. It's like so much deeper than that. Not so much, but it's deeper than that in the episode, you know? Yeah, well, Hordak did have friends in the past. He says so. And, you know, it. It's more nuanced than this, I guess, but his actions pushed his friends away. And I'm only so willing to tell people, like, stand by other people forever, no matter the abuse they put you through, because that's not what you should do. Um, if I'm going to talk about this from a child's perspective, I do think we could have reached for some more low-hanging fruit here, because... The social structures of kids, like girls are so isolating and mean to other little girls. And the people who don't have any friends in school, are it's often that way because they're, they're unique or they stick out in some way. And so my example is I remember a child in my school who had no friends because he was a special needs student who clearly wasn't getting the help he needed. There weren't resources to help this kid in school. So not only was he literally having seizures, but he had some real learning disabilities that someone could have assisted him with, and my school just was not equipped. And we would hear things from our teachers, like maybe go over there and try to be friends with him. But he needed a lot more than any of us could give. And so I think the lesson sometimes oversimplifies those things. Whether it's an actual special needs or mental health issue, whether it's some of the stuff Aaron is saying where this kid has a background or a home situation that is really tough, I would have appreciated a moral that just tried to move the needle a little bit. Like find out one thing 
about someone you don't usually talk to or sit at lunch with that with that kid one day, <laughs> then see what happens. We don't always have the resources, unfortunately, to go as far as Lucky would like us to. Yeah. So, Aaron, earlier you said you feel like this this second kind of simpler moral. This would probably actually do better with kids. Do you, is that is that right? Well, more just because that that the initial like I feel like that initial complicated situation is actually like really complex for like young kids to understand. Like, there's a lot going on, a lot of layers. Whereas this one is literally just uh, the end. One is literally just hey, uh, you see a sad kid, go be friends with them. Every um, yeah, everyone's seen a sad kid, right? So it's a little, it's more relatable. It's it's more concrete. Um, that the the for initial the meat of the episode is so much more abstract and really dealing with a lot of stuff that's actually surprisingly deep. Because um, it's 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 like it has that moral equivalent in there of like okay, this guy's a terrible person or robot or wizard or whatever the hell he is. <laughs> like it, it, no matter how bad the person is, do I st- should I still be, treat them as a person? Whereas you know they sort of just. Sh- get rid of that and be like, oh, hey, there's people that don't have friends. Maybe you should be a friend. Yeah, there's kids who, like, there's probably not kids who, like, run a planet-wide empire. So, <laughs> I and, yeah, certainly a little more abstract. So you know what time it is. Lauren knows what time it is. What is the actual moral of this episode? Uh, well, first of all, uh, don't eat strange pies. I feel like that's really good and really, really, really laid into in the episode. Uh, but yeah, I, I really feel like the that that first deeper. I mean, the whole episode is re- revolves around we need to find somebody that can cry for this person. This person, we have to find somebody that will cry for him. And and that effect that it ends up being Shira, yeah, that really heroic. It makes her obviously. It's not, it's not even just saving the day. I mean, she yeah. doesn't save the day. I mean, she like makes that judgment or that choice within herself, and that's like really empowering. Well, what would you, what would you ask a, a kid or a viewer to do then, having seen her go so above and beyond? I th- well, I think so. So, what, how I would apply this to where I work is, you know, we have a lot of fights, ton, lots of just, oh, this person did this something so bad that I, I, I can't talk to them ever again, and if we do, we're just going to end up fighting. So, like, just being the better person and, and saying, you know what, I'm not engaging in this. We need to figure this out in a realistic way instead of just constantly escalating and fighting a galactic war over. I, th- I think that's more applicable than just, like, talk to a sad kid. Using your words instead of your fists is something we really try to impress upon, and it's hard even as adults sometimes to regulate that anger and manage it towards some sort of positive interaction with another human being. Well, you guys both said such thoughtful things. I was just going to do another tight five on pies, but I think we're uh, <laughs> I think we're good here. Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveapower at gmail.com or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveapower.wordpress.com One of the very best ways to gain empathy for another human being is to hear their story. 826SHY is a non-profit writing and tutoring center for young people. They offer writing workshops, after-school programs, and themed events. 826SHY organizes field trips about bookbinding, memoir writing, and more. Coolest of all, they are connected to a spy store. Visit the Wicker Park Secret Agent Supply Company at 1276 North Milwaukee. Every disguise or gadget you buy helps young people become storytellers. They're always looking for volunteers and are hosting a craft fair on December 9th. 
visit 826chi.org.